Okay, uh, this afternoon we'll do uh, a bit of continuing on with uh, an aspect of right view. Uh, the references to dana, uh, generosity, um, in the uh, mundane aspects of, of right view. There is what is given, what is offered, what is sacrificed, that phraseology referring to the quality of dana, generosity, and uh, the importance of that in uh, developing the mind, developing the heart, uh, serving as a basis uh, for our practice. It's also, dana is also one of the parami, the uh, perfections uh, that I've talked about uh, recently, the 10 perfections, dana uh, being the first um, on that list of, of the 10 uh, ways to cross over the flood. So I thought I'd start with a, a bit of a reading uh, from that book uh, by Ajahn Suchito, Parami, on uh, generosity. One thing that the first three perfections indicate, dana, sila, uh, morality, and um, renunciation, uh, nikkama. One thing that the first three perfections indicate is that to undo the stress our minds create takes a move to a more selfless, less egocentric mode. With generosity and morality, we take other people's welfare into our awareness. There is the movement to empathy, kindness, and compassion. And yet this doesn't cut off our own welfare. To live with a kind and conscientious heart is good and means we make good friends. So this is for our welfare and others' welfare. It's not self-centered or self-denying and it leads to the allaying of abuse, greed, and mistrust, a net lessening of suffering and its causes. The first perfection, generosity, is very accessible. Most of us have received gifts, so we know how uplifting it is to receive other people's kindness. It touches us. Then when we reciprocate, we feel good in giving something to someone, and for that particular moment, a benevolent connection is established. It's a simple and fundamental approach to relationship. As a Buddhist, one of the primary things one does when visiting one's teacher, for example, is to make an offering. It can be just a candle, incense, or flowers. But one does this as a gesture of connectedness, of being in touch in a benevolent way. We probably already have a feeling for this way of relating, but only do it occasionally on birthdays or for Christmas. However, the Buddha's encouragement is to develop it on a daily basis. It lifts the mind out of its isolation and establishes goodwill. With generosity, what one gives is not that significant. Rather, it is the act of giving that's of value. This action opens the heart in a benevolent way and affects another person accordingly. It's a movement into the reality of a shared world. Furthermore, when one cultivates dana, it's important not to think that only material things are the beginning and end of it all. Instead, giving a friendly gesture or a helping hand, offering service, or giving attention are offerings that may in some situations be more important than giving material things. One of the long-term benefits is that through generosity, we begin to establish a happier sense around relationship. Relationship is a basic thing. We have mothers, fathers, children, friends. We are born into relationship experiences. 
But often our relationships get tarnished by fears, blame, and dislikes, and we imagine we'd feel more comfortable on our own. Of course, the Buddha himself encouraged solitude, but that was in an Indian society where everyone is so tightly connected through village, clan, family, and caste that someone could lose the sense of being an individual. However, in the West, it's exactly the opposite. Your sense of what you belong to ends at the edge of your skin, which is one reason why people in the developed, quote-unquote, countries get to feel so alienated and anxious. We've developed self-view. You're on your own. Compete and keep it for yourself. But we've lost a lot of, of the sense of being part of something meaningful and sacred. Consequently, what the Buddha called right view, which is the foundation of the path out of suffering and stress, gives value to relationship. It encompasses acknowledgement of and gratitude to mother and father and other supportive people, as well as the sense that there are wise beings from whom we can learn. And accordingly, we learn to relate to ourselves in a wise and kindly way, to acknowledge the good we've been born into, the good we've done, and the mistakes that we need to learn from. Right view reminds us that we are not just an isolated point that is only relevant for the moment. We are in a field of present awareness that absorbs and carries the consequences of what we've done in our life or had happen to us. In some way, we have absorbed and are still connected to all events, all actions, and all circumstances in our life. Therefore, all of that has to be purified. However, it's not the case that you have to go through every event and judge who was right and who to forgive. Instead, you sense the overall results that stay with you. Regret, doubt, worry, aversion, and so on. You investigate, open to, and heal those results. This is one of the processes of mind cultivation or meditation a cleansing and healing of the results of the past through just sustaining awareness of a pain in a wide, kindly, and unhurried way. With such a focus, we're not even trying to fix or understand the past. We try to be with just how it seems now with that single, kind intention. Then, even when one is on one's own, one is abiding in this particular field of awareness that is uplifting and aimed at purity of intention. This is a transpersonal awareness in which the mind leaves its shadows and burdens behind. All the perfections lead to that. In this kind of awareness, your relationship experience is clear. You have no numbness or defensiveness in your heart, and you aren't trying to find a separate place in the universe where you can hide out and not have to be anybody. With transpersonal awareness, even when you are on your own, you can still be in that shared temple of parami. You are not separated from the good actions you have done, and you are not essentially separated from mother, father, or from the sense of being welcome and at home in the world. While you're never really, quote, left in peace and quiet, as long as you have unresolved mind states and attitudes, you're never mixed up with and overwhelmed by them if you have this transpersonal wholeness. To develop dana is a vital intention that goes against the get-it-for-yourself attitude or 
she's got more than me, it's not fair, complaint of the competitive materialist world. This model, encouraged throughout Western capitalism, has never been the only ways that societies operate. In fact, I was reading a while ago about a social model that is used on some islands in the Indonesian archipelago, where the aim is to gain as much debt as possible. What happens is this. You get in your canoe with your pig, and you paddle over to another island where you give somebody your pig, and they give you a coconut. They are then indebted to you because your pig was worth more than their coconut. Now they have a bond with you because they are indebted to you. Then they take their pig and swap it for somebody else's pineapple, so that that person is now indebted to them. In this way, they gradually create a whole network of feeling connected, of belonging, and owing something to everybody else. This movement of energy enacted between people, and often between a person and the land, is what constitutes a firm sense of, quote, being in the world, rather than trying to find a place of one's own in the world, which always leads to stress. In the islands system, a really important person is one with such incalculable debts that there is no way they can ever pay them off. They are indebted to a whole village or a whole island, and it is impossible to pay it all off. Such a person is considered to have made so many connections that they are a success. Now, in a normal capitalist society, many people, and indeed most countries, are also in debt but there is fear and shame around that. This is because there is no sense of direct interaction and hence belonging. Money is a source of having power over others rather than a token of belonging. The creditor, often a remote institution, could reclaim and take away your house, which would never happen in the tribal model that I just described. When there is the sense of connection, it supports ethical sensitivity. I wouldn't want to deprive you of shelter. It would be bad for you. It would be a disgrace for me, and it would ruin our friendship. Who wants to live like that? This sense of developing connectedness through value leads to an openness of heart. Then things don't have to be fair and equal because we support and share with each other. This is something I've noticed on alms rounds. I, as an alms mendicant, am not equal in material terms to others. Why should they give me anything when I haven't worked and therefore, quote, earned it? And who do I think I am anyway to be expecting others to feed me? This is the kind of thinking that can go on in my Western mind. When you are wandering for alms in England, many people don't know what Buddhism is. They know you are probably some sort of religious person, but that's about it. Yet, some feel instinctively drawn towards making an offering when you have a shaven head, a modest, peaceful manner, and a bowl, and even thank you for being around so that they can do that. It seems to indicate an intuitive feeling for the beauty of making a free will offering with no manipulation, no scheming, no I get something back out of this attitude. This blows the equal, fair, deserve it, judgmental mind. The simple truth of the matter is that people feel moved, inspired, when they have a chance to be generous, and they get to like the feel of it. It's said that the highest kind of dana is when a worthy person gives to a worthy person. 
Of course, it depends on what you mean by worthy. The poor and the downtrodden, the homeless and those in dire need, are worthy of our compassion. Also, giving to wise people is to be cultivated because you support those who can support many others. So it's a good investment. And because you establish a connection with that kind of person. Then the wise person becomes part of your temple of awareness and a support for your consciousness. This may mean that you give $1,000 to a shelter for the homeless, but if you visit a temple, ashram, or monastery, you may offer your services instead. One may need for more financial generosity, but the other may benefit from more generous actions. Generosity of service is more the norm in the renunciate life, where one has few material resources to share. Instead, one shares the Dhamma, a gift that is called the greatest gift. Because of this teaching encourages all of us to be generous, moral, and wise. Also, monks and nuns will serve their teachers in many mundane and practical ways, even as the teacher shares his or her wise attention with them. Fundamentally, service keeps people connected to right view and to each other. It's not about getting a job done. As a meditation, the cultivation of generosity is about bringing people to mind and sharing the goodness of one's life with them. It means developing a sharing intent and from there learning to see one's life as part of a whole system rather than as an individual fragment thrown together with others in a haphazard way. The whole system view definitely helps in getting some perspective on one's own character and it allows the heart to feel full and settled with others. With right view, we're on a boat that can cross the floods of insecurity and loneliness. Okay, and then uh, the next reading I have is a sutta um, called the Dana Sutta, giving, uh, Anguttara 752. And this is Ajahn Jeff's, uh, Ajahn Tinsro's translation that I'm reading. I have heard that on one occasion the Blessed One was staying in Champa on the shore of Gagara Lake. Then a large number of lay followers from Champa went to Venerable Sariputta and, on arrival, having bowed down to him, sat to one side. As they were sitting there, they said to Venerable Sariputta, It has been a long time, Venerable Sir, since we have had a chance to hear a Dhamma talk in the Blessed One's presence. It would be good if we could get to hear a Dhamma talk in the Blessed One's presence. Then in that case, my friends, come again on the next Uposta day, and perhaps you'll get to hear a Dhamma talk in the Blessed One's presence. As you say, Venerable Sir, the lay followers from Champa said to Venerable Sariputta, rising from their seats, bowing down to him, and then circling him, keeping him on their right, they left. Then on the following Uposta day, the lay followers from Champa went to Venerable Sariputta and, on arrival, having bowed down to him, stood to one side. Then Venerable Sariputta, together with the lay followers from Champa, went to the Blessed One and, on arrival, having bowed down to him, sat to one side. As he was sitting there, he said to the Blessed One, Might there be the case where a person gives a gift of a certain sort and it does not bear great fruit or great benefit? whereas another person gives a gift of the same sort, and it bears, bears great fruit and great benefit. 
Yes, Sariputta, there would be the case where a person gives a gift of a certain sort and it does not bear great fruit or great benefit, whereas another person gives a gift of the same sort and it bears great fruit and great benefit. Lord, what is the cause, what is the reason why a person gives a gift of a certain sort and it does not bear great fruit or great benefit, whereas another person gives a gift of the same sort and it bears great fruit and great benefit? Sariputta, there is the case where a person gives a gift seeking his own profit, with a mind attached to the reward, seeking to store up for himself with the thought, I'll enjoy this after death. He gives his gift, food, drink, clothing, a vehicle, a garland, perfume, an ointment, bedding, shelter, and a lamp, to a Brahmin or a contemplative. What do you think, Sariputta? Might a person give such a gift as this? Yes, Lord. Having given this gift, seeking his own profit, with a mind attached to the reward, seeking to store up for himself with the thought, I'll enjoy this after death, on the breakup of the body, after death, he reappears in the company of the four great kings. Then, having exhausted that action, that power, that status, that sovereignty, he is a returner coming back to this world. Then there is the case of a person who gives a gift not seeking his own profit, not with a mind attached to the reward, not seeking to store up for himself, nor with the thought, I'll enjoy this after death. Instead, he gives a gift with the thought, giving is good. He gives his gift, food, drink, clothing, a vehicle, garland, perfume, ointment, bedding, shelter, a lamp, to a Brahmin or contemplative. What do you think, Sariputta? Might a person give such a gift as this? Yes, Lord. Having given this gift with the thought, giving is good, on the breakup of the body after death, he reappears in the company of the devas of the 33. Then, having exhausted that action, that power, that status, that sovereignty, he is a returner coming back to this world. Or, instead of thinking giving is good, he gives a gift with the thought. This was given in the past, done in the past, by my father and grandfather, it would not be right for me to let this old family custom be discontinued. On the breakup of the body after death, he reappears in the company of the devas of the hours. Then, having exhausted that action, that power, that status, that sovereignty, he is a returner coming back to this world. Or instead, he gives a gift with the thought, I am well off. These are not well off. It would not be right for me, being well-off, not to give a gift to those who are not well-off. On the breakup of the body, after death, he appears in the company of the contented devas. Then, having exhausted that action, that power, that status, that sovereignty, he is a returner coming back to this world. Or instead, he gives a gift with the thought, just as there were the great sacrifices of the sages of the past, Ataka, Wamaka, Wamadeva, Vesamitta, Yamatagi, Angirasa, Bharad Bhaja, Waseta, Kasapa, and Bhagu. In the same way will this be my distribution of gifts. On the breakup of the body after death, he reappears in the company of the devas who delight in creation. Then, having exhausted that action, that power, that status, that sovereignty, he is a returner coming back to the world. Or instead, he gives a gift with the thought. When this gift of mine is given, it makes the mind serene. 
gratification and joy arise. On the breakup of the body after death, he reappears in the company of the devas who have power over the creations of others. Then having exhausted that action, that power, that status, that sovereignty, he is a returner coming back to this world. Or instead of thinking, when this gift of mine is given, it makes the mind serene, gratification and joy arise, he gives a gift with the thought, this is an ornament for the mind and a support for the mind. He gives his gift, food, drink, clothing, a vehicle, a garland, perfume, ointment, bedding, shelter, and a lamp to a Brahmin or a contemplative. What do you think, Sariputta? Might a person give such a gift as this? Yes, Lord. Having given this, not seeking his own profit, not with a mind attached to the reward, not seeking to store up for himself, nor with the thought giving is good, nor with the thought this was given in the past, done in the past by my mother, by my father and grandfather, nor with the thought I am well off, there are those who are not well off and it would not be right for me, being well off, not to give a gift to those who are not well off, nor with the thought just as there were the great sacrifices of the sages of the past, in the same way this will be my distribution of gift, nor with the thought when this gift of mine is given, it makes the mind serene, gratification and joy arise. But with the thought, this is an ornament for the mind, a support for the mind. On the breakup of the body after death, he reappears in the company of Brahma's retinue. Then having exhausted that action, that power, that status, that sovereignty, he is a non-returner. He does not come back to this world. This Sariputta is the cause. This is the reason why a person gives a gift of a certain sort and it does not bear great fruit or make great benefit, whereas another person gives a gift of the same sort and it bears great fruit and great benefit. And a, a story um, from the great disciples uh, of the Buddha um, that kind of takes that last sutta uh, and brings it home. Uh, with, uh, takes it even a bit further explanation of, of why uh, giving uh, with the thought this is an ornament and a support for the mind um, is the highest motivation for giving. So this is uh, uh, from the chapter on great women disciples of the Buddha uh, in the uh, section, and it's from the Vinaya, uh, dealing with uh, Visaka, uh, one of the foremost lay supporters of the Buddha. Once when the Blessed One, the Blessed One and his monks were, stay, were guests of Visaka, she requested him to grant her eight boons. He replied that the Perfect One had gone beyond the fulfilling of boons. She said that she did not wish for something blameworthy, but for allowable things. The Blessed One let her mention her wishes. She requested to give gifts to the order in eight ways. One, robes for the rains. Two, food for arriving monks. Three, food for monks setting out on a journey. Four, medicine for sick monks. monks. <laughs> Five, food for sick monks. Six, food for monks tending the sick. Seven, regular distribution of rice gruel. And eight, bathing robes for nuns to bathe in the river. The Blessed One then asked her for which special reasons she made those requests. She explained in detail. One, 
Some monks had been forced to walk half-naked in the streaming rain to preserve their robes and thus were mistaken for naked ascetics. Therefore, she wanted to give rain's robes. Two, newly arrived monks in Sawati, who did not know the town yet, had difficulty obtaining food and had to walk for alms despite their weariness from the journey. Arrive, therefore, all arriving monks should be sent to her to receive food. Three, in the same way, she would like to give a good meal to monks setting out on a journey. Four and five, sick monks have to suffer much and may even die if they lack suitable food and medicine. Therefore, she would like to cook food for the sick. Six, a monk tending the sick had to go on alms round for himself as well as for the sick monk. He could easily be late, and both would not be able to eat after noon because the mealtime had already passed. Therefore, she wanted to provide food for monks tending the sick. Seven, she had also heard how many benefits were connected with rice gruel in the early morning, so she would like to provide gruel to the order. And eight, it was unsuitable for nuns to bathe without clothes, as had happened recently. Therefore, she would like to provide them with a suitable covering. After Visaka had thus explained in detail the external benefits of her wishes, the Blessed One asked her what inner benefits she expected. Her answer shows how subtly and profoundly she had grasped the distinction between outward acts of virtue and inner mental, tra inner mental training. She replied, As to that, Lord, bhikkhus who have spent the rains in different regions will come to Sawati to see the Blessed One. They will approach the Blessed One and question him thus. Lord, the bhikkhu named so-and-so has died. What is his destination? What is his rebirth? The Blessed One will tell how such a one had reached the fruit of stream entry, or of once returning, or of non-returning, or of arhantship. I shall approach the bhikkhus and ask, Lords, did that bhikkhu ever come to Sawati? If they answer that he did... I shall conclude that surely a rain's cloth will have been used by that bhikkhu, or visitor's food, or food for one going on a journey, or food for the sick, or food for a sick nurse, or medicine for the sick, or the morning rice gruel. When I remember it, I shall be glad. When I am glad, I shall be happy. When my mind is happy, my body will be tranquil. When my body is tranquil, I shall feel pleasure. When I feel pleasure, my mind will become concentrated. That will bring the development of the spiritual faculties in me and also the development of the spiritual powers and the enlightenment factors. This, Lord, is the benefit I foresee for myself in asking the eight boons of the perfect one. Good, good, Visaka, the enlightened one replied. It is good that you have asked the perfect one for the eight boons, foreseeing these benefits. I grant you these eight boons. So lived Visaka, a model female lay devotee endowed with unwavering confidence in the triple gem, securely settled in the fruit of stream entry, bound for a happy rebirth, and in the end, for final deliverance from suffering. So a few reflections on generosity and particularly the um, point uh, leading up here to the, that final um, uh, final reading that just shows the the importance of uh, uh, regarding the the benefits of generosity is extending far beyond um, just uh, merit making for uh, a good return right here in the here in in this lifetime or in the next lifetime 
uh, but as this ornament for the mind, uh, you do it because it uh, leads to that sequence of um, mental qualities that Visaka described uh, going through um, the gladness, the, the pramoja, the ease, the well-being that comes from generosity all the way up to it serving as a basis for uh, developing uh, samadhi and then consequently developing insight and um, uh, realizing uh, the liberation uh, that can come from that. So the hallmarks of that being the beginning part of uh, offering, giving uh, of oneself in a way that when one reflects upon it, and it's really important to remember to reflect on it too, to keep bringing it to mind, those acts of generosity, whether by yourself, uh, from yourself or to yourself, uh, keeping it fresh in the mind. And it just creates this uh, incredible uh, ease and well-being uh, when one does that. So uh, any thoughts or questions at this point? Reflections? Uh, yes. Um, so I feel like it's a little bit paradoxical in the sense that um, like giving with expecting nothing in return, um, but you are sort of obtaining this ornament, right? You are. Um, so I guess I'm, it seems like uh, the motive at that point or the intention is not only to give for the sake of giving, but also to collect a positive memory that you can reflect on to uh, cultivate samadhi. Am I missing mm -hmm. something? Well, I, I guess, you know, for myself, when I reflect on that, I mean, we, um, we do all have a certain aspiration in taking up the practice at all, you know, in any way whatsoever, um, in order to, um, you know, really realize the end of suffering. Um, at that level, um, in my mind, my understanding is, is that one is starting to approach not making a differentiation between self and other. Um, that uh, when one is making an aspiration uh, and acting on it of the sort to, um, you know, the ornament of the mind, I'm not sure how, uh, what the Pali is and how that might, you know, be otherwise translated, but it's, uh, it's a way of helping to purify the mind of any kind of um, defilement that obstructs it from seeing clearly the truth. Uh, uh, it's, a, it's setting a stage, and, and at that level, one uh, should be starting to realize that it's not just for one's own benefit, but it's for the benefit of all beings, because if one is able to liberate oneself from the underlying defilements of, of any kind, um, and particularly of the maybe the slightly lesser motivations for giving, you know, for something in return, or because it's a family tradition, or... Um, things like that, um, that, it, uh, that it starts to approach, oh, you know, there's really, it's not, there's not a, a solid me that's actually, you know, um, the sole benef uh, beneficiary of this intention, but that it's something to do to help make my heart, mind uh, more free from defilements. And in that process, I bring that to and share that with others setting an example, particularly, um, of uh, a way to uh, uh, be free from suffering. 
uh, in the most superior way. Uh, so it's done with that kind of intention, that realization that it isn't just all about me. Any other thoughts on that, Mantara or Ajahn I guess you could, you could uh, interpret the ornament to the mind in many different ways. Like one, you could just say like with the thought giving creates an ornamentation or creates beauty. Uh, it's, it's kind of like uh, not really hoping for a result, but like Lady Vis, and there's also maybe a sense of courageousness with it, like Lady Visaka with that type of giving that sense of fearlessness with which, because a lot of bhikkhus, uh, Savati was really the main Buddhist hub in the time of the Buddha, and he spent most of his time there, and it was a very big center for monks, and there's a lot of monks coming and going, so that sense of fearlessness and just giving something that would be helpful for them, because it would be helpful for them, and then ultimately that it would create these reflections for her that would lead her mind to concentration and beyond, so that is very much approaching that that sense of just giving just because it's helpful, just because it's beautiful. And uh, and then ultimately the ornamentation to the mind is is the samadhi and the, the liberations. So you could interpret it, I think, in, in different ways, perhaps. Yeah, sort of like going on from that, just, uh, yeah, it's more like that sense of giving just because it's good it's a good thing to do you know and there is the result that it you know comes with that sense of uh, uh, ease and well-being in one's own individual experience but the motivation is you you just do it because it's the right thing to do and, and it uh, brings it you know it brings in, uh, the occasion for incomparable goodness to arise in the world as the chanting goes I also like the uh, story from Ajahn Suchito about the, um, the, uh, the island, that uh, island economy, and that I've also heard you know, similar kinds of uh, reflections that you know, if we had economies, uh, and I'm considering this as like a, a mental economy or a psychological economy as well, of, of giving rather than consuming, if everybody made their ultimate goal to give as much as they could to, to others uh, rather than to consume uh, and you know, get money to buy things for oneself, then you know, everybody would be tripping over themselves and everybody else trying to make sure that everybody had what they need by giving rather than by consuming. And everyone would still get what they needed if everyone were committed to that. Uh, and the quality of mind and the quality of uh, being in the world would be a whole different thing than what we see now. I think also maybe to add to that, that highest form of giving being, uh, it becomes it becomes a part of one's character, like it's automatic maybe at a certain point as well. Yeah, that also just brings to my, it wasn't in any of the readings here, but and there's a lot of different uh, readings and, and uh, teachings on, on dana, uh, but one kind of grouping, I think probably from the commentaries compiling it, just the three basic kinds of dana, uh, amisa dana, the giving of material support, uh, is the first, and then the third, as we as was mentioned in here, dhammadana, the giving of the teaching, dhamma being the highest, but there's also one in between called uh, abhayadana, the giving of fearlessness, 
um, which is uh, essentially the following of moral precepts uh, of, of harmlessness, like the uh, five precepts, uh, is a form of giving because of the uh, amount of uh, security that you're helping to introduce into the world to all creatures by uh, not taking advantage, not harming, uh, uh, is, and that that's, a, that's a, a great gift. So those three kinds, and then Dhammadana, the, when as one explores and gains some understanding uh, of the teaching of the, of the Dhamma, then to be able to share that. So a good um, way to spend some time reflecting uh, is to recollect uh, acts of generosity uh, in any form that they come to your mind. They can be things, uh, acts of generosity that you have given, uh, that you have performed, uh, even in small ways, uh, offering of a kind word, a gentle gesture, uh, some time with somebody, um, material dana, uh, support uh, in a material way to those in need, uh, just reflecting on that and uh, allowing that to help settle and clear the mind at the, at the beginning of a meditation period. That happy mind uh, concentrates much more easily. Or to reflect on the act of generosity somebody has um, given to you uh, some kind gesture that uh, you have received as well as the ones that you have given. So uh, just, you know, really bringing those to mind uh, can cut a lot of uh, habitual discursive rambling uh, and help settle the mind much more quickly. Okay, so if there are no more questions, we'll uh, leave it uh, for the reading today. And tomorrow we'll pick up some more grounding meditations and do some contemplations of, of body to help us get uh, settled into our bodies even more. <laughs>